0: Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, violent crime spikes in America. Governor Cooper vetoes a bill that would end enhanced enhance unemployment benefits and should North Carolina legalize sports betting. Next.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by... NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host
0: Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Jonah Kaplan with ABC News 11 political analyst Joe Stewart, and Democratic State Senator Sidney Batch. Jonah, let's begin with the big story this week, and that's the spike in violent crime in America. You know, I've
2: I've thought all week about how to frame this story because it's, it's quite complicated despite kind of the headlines that come out of it. And really, I think there's three parts. There's the perception, There's the reality and there's the context. Perception is important. An ABC News poll found that 60% of Americans, which is the most in more than 20 years, think that violent crime is a serious or extremely serious problem in America. So that's the perception. Now the reality. Homicides are up in a number of cities in America, more than 33% since 2019. So not even since the pandemic, which let's, you know, put an asterisk on that year because everyone was home and whatnot. you look at p- places like Chicago. I mean, historically, every summer it gets bad, but this summer in particular, I mean, 150 shootings. Uh, in, in Four hundred like people shot. 150 people killed. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, and this is something that happens in many cities across America. Whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's Milwaukee, uh, whether it's New Orleans. Now the context, because. Talking about this and talking about maybe putting in more police does not negate the fact that there are serious issues when it comes to policing and police reform that could help get to the root of these problems. All of this is kind of intertwined. Why is there such a disparity? It's not like these crimes that are happening or serial killers going around people in malls. It's not terrorism. Usually the shooter and the person, the victim, know each other. Sometimes there's a stray bullet, which is the horrific part because it kills someone else. But what a lot the, of kids in Chicago. But what are the systemic issues that keep getting these communities kind of locked in this cycle of violence? And that's where all of this and the conversations about policing and what to do about these violent crimes That's where I think this discussion needs to go.
0: Well, I want to self-correct. There was 150 people killed over the July 4th weekend, 400 people shot, Mitch. Right,
3: Nationwide. nationwide, nationwide. And in the Chicago area, that was also bad news. 108, I think, shot over the weekend and 17 of them killed, or somewhere in that neighborhood. The numbers might change as, as details come forward. But to me, the interesting part about this is there's clearly something that needs to be done, but part of the gridlock on this is the partisan fights over who's to blame. Uh, the defund the police movement obviously was something that was on the left side of the Democratic Party. I think sort of mainstream Democrats knew that that was a bad idea, that people are interested in law and order, but it has become a fight. Republicans are putting this on Democrats' plate and say, look, if there are bad problems with shootings and crime. It's all your
0: fault. What does the White House have to say about this? That Biden rolled out a gun program, right?
3: All right. Biden's uh, the president's response to this has tended to be let's focus on the guns and having new rules for guns. That's a non-starter with many on the Republican side who would be interested in the types of reforms that might actually work. But as long as there's going to be
0: a partisan okay. fight about this, it's going to be hard to get something done. Police are having a problem with retention. We're seeing a lot of retirements, aren't we, Joe?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of police departments are down in the number of officers. They have openings that they're not able to fill. And that's part of what Jonah touched on, a more systemic part of the problem here. The, the challenge is, of course, as a political issue, crime is, as it is perceived by voters, the sense is, well, we want a solution like a cigarette boat, but the truth is you need a tramp steamer. There's a lot of things that go into the criminality functions I- in our society, the criminal justice system, the sort of infrastructure that helps people that are in situations where crime might occur. Um, there, there's a lot more that needs okay. to be done. Just not just beyond criminal justice, but throughout our society to help address this issue. Sydney, are
0: we letting too many people back on the street? Some states don't have cash bail anymore.
5: Right. No, I think the bigger issue isn't that we're letting too many people back um, out in the streets. I think that we're not doing enough while they're actually incarcerated and providing them the services they need in order to actually have some type of reentry. North Carolina has actually done a really good job of that. We have a lot of reentry programs that are getting um, upfitted right now. But to Jonah's point earlier, one of the underlying issues is ongoing... uh, mental health challenges, right? So we know that mental illness is highly correlated to criminality, and so if we don't address mental health and we continue to just say, let's throw more money at issues, we're never gonna get to the solution. Okay, I
0: wanna come right back to you. The governor vetoed a plan, a bill that would stop enhanced unemployment uh, benefits.
5: Yeah, this bill has actually had an interesting trajectory. It started out in the Senate with uh, bipartisan support on both uh, sides, and that's because it had an incentive of $1,500 that they would add to the bill uh, to go ahead and incentivize people to actually go back to work. When it moved to the House, uh, they they gutted that portion, and then they replaced it with removing the federal subsidy of $300. What's interesting, though, is that the entire animus behind it, right, is that we wanted to get people back to work, and they thought that by removing the $300, people would return. But states who have actually eliminated that, that $300 have not found an uptick in employment. And so there's an ongoing issue that we need to address about how we can help small businesses in particular to incentivize people on the same playing field as large corporations to be able to incentivize people to go back to work.
0: Mitch, there is some talk in Washington that the Democrats now want to extend that. But what was the reaction from small businesses in North Carolina when this happened?
3: Well, a lot of small businesses were disappointed because they've had such a hard time getting people to take jobs when they see that uh, the, the amount of money that they're going to be able to pay to bring in workers was not able to compete with the unemployment that people were getting from the state benefit plus the 300 dollars a week from the Federal Government. Now, to some extent, this is academic because unless Congress extends that benefit, it goes away in September anyway. But certainly there's going to be something that needs to be done to address small businesses, especially those in retail and service, where you need to get a bunch of people in there to serve people. And there's just been a hard time, especially during the summer months. We're seeing that in the coastal communities. Jonah,
0: critics say we're paying people not to work.
2: I think it would have taken a lot of political courage for Governor Cooper to Sign that bill. He's trying to balance a lot with his own caucus. And Mitch is right, you know, it's supposed to expire in September. And let's remember when this was signed. I mean, who thought we would have been out of this by September, let alone here we are, maskless around this table, finally. I think, though, that what really has to happen is beyond this is we go back to even deeper issues, who wants to go back to work at some of these jobs to begin with? There's something that I heard called the great resignation right now, that more people are leaving their jobs because they don't want that lifestyle anymore. They don't want to work for that low wage or something. So it's incentivizing them not to work maybe for a job like, $12 12 or $13 an hour, but how do we get something that's going to give them a living wage and enable them to do something that's not just about dignity, but actually getting paid to keep up with the cost of living? Joe, weigh
4: in here. Yeah, I think the challenge we, that we're facing is, is a transformational thing happening in the work American workforce and among American employers anyway. We've seen a change in the, in the types of skills that are necessary, and quite frankly, across the country, not just in North Carolina, it's harder to fill high-skilled blue-collar jobs than it's ever been before. People need the kind of vocational instruction, their interests are not where the jobs really are. There's more jobs open now in America than there are people seeking jobs. And so we're going to have to look at the way we think about providing incentives for people to work in these jobs because we need people to work and support their families.
0: Joe, what is the impact on the economy though when people are not going back to work and they're getting paid to stay at home?
4: Well, there, there is a, a perverse disincentive to try to be aggressive in return to the workplace when you can get as much money or at least a portion of the money that you need to live on without having to work. But as Jonah pointed out, I think for a lot of people, their unwillingness to immediately return to the workplace is because the types of jobs, frontline jobs where they're interacting with the public, they feel there may be a, a lingering health concern. And so people's hesitation to return is probably not entirely about the money. It's as much about the lingering fear they may have about COVID-19 in the types of jobs where they're interacting with the okay, public. Okay, I'm
0: giving you a lot of face time. I'm coming right back to you. <laughs> what are the odds we're going to get sports betting in North Carolina?
4: Well, very interesting legislation is now pending bipartisan support for this bill. We'll see if it can make its way through the Senate. Uh, uh, Senator uh, uh, Paul Lowe and Senator uh, uh, Jim Perry are the co-sponsors a Democrat and Republican. This is an interesting issue. Perry is a whip in the Republican caucus and so has some standing. And so somebody with that much legislative oomph should be able to get the bill at least a hearing. We'll we'll see. There's also a medical marijuana bill moving forward to be strong support from Senator Bill Rabin, the rules chair, very powerful position in the Senate. But the the premise is this. The Supreme Court said a few years back that states had the ability to allow this kind of gambling, online sports betting in their states. Now, we have it already in North Carolina, in the casino in Cherokee and the Catawba Indian uh, casinos uh, now in the Cleveland County area. The question is, is this the kind of enterprise the state of North Carolina wants to get engaged in, to generate revenue, income into the state as a result of its regulation of it? Senator Perry said famously his mother is against gambling, but she doesn't want to pay higher property taxes. And so she's willing to see something like this come into North Carolina, even though she doesn't support gambling per se, because of the lure of additional revenue.
0: Sydney, what is the Democratic caucus? What are their thoughts on this?
5: I mean, I haven't talked to a lot of my colleagues, but I don't think that they, that many of them would actually be opposed. It's interesting, though, g- like gambling and marijuana, that isn't a partisan issue. There are party, there are people in each party, especially more conservative uh, individuals in both sides of the aisle, that actually are uncomfortable with it. But I do think that it at least deserves a hearing, so that we could figure out how we want to move forward. I mean, four hundred billion dollars is estimated to be left on the table with regards to um, sports betting. At least that's what Commissioner Adam Silver has said. So if we're leaving that on the table and we're not actually benefiting from that and not putting it into our schools and infrastructure and other things that we need in the state, I think that it's a huge loss.
3: <laughs> (laughs) What are critics saying? Well, I think uh, you're hearing from the, the groups that have been opposed to North Carolina being in the gambling business in general. But I think it's a, a further sign that the state is moving further and further away from a history in which the the socially conservative voices were able to block things like we a went state this lottery, on a lottery right. yeah, yeah, like a state lottery, like uh, the expansion of breweries and wineries. This is the type of thing where the General Assembly is seeing the dollar signs rather than what they're hearing from the socially conservative voices. So I think that is making a difference. What's interesting is we are talking about the legalizing sports betting bill. There's another similar bill that also, I believe, involves Senator Perry that would have North Carolina get into the racehorse
2: business. And so I I haven't heard as much about that, but that's along that same line. Jonah. I think about voters, and I'd probably be shocked if any of them were shocked about this, we don't have sports betting. I'm DraftKings. I'm online betting all the time. We don't have medical marijuana. Oh, okay, I'll just go to another state or whatever. It's, you know, decriminalized so many other places. It almost seems like North Carolina is kind of trying to play catch up with everything else. Or well, is it changing demographics, and that's why it's changing? Changing demographics. I think it's just changing society. I think we just have different standards of what was maybe, again, like socially conservative. I do think, though, that if there's one thing that will hold this back is, especially North Carolina, College sports is such a big deal, and that's what's, I would say there's the risk involved in, do we want college students getting involved in gambling? And, you know. Really good point. And and that's where I think you have to, one, you have to be careful about the sanctity of the game, and two, look, gambling is is a problem. It can be a vice, and if we're trying to get more, uh, they're not millennials anymore, but they're whatever, they're Gen Zers or whatever. Uh, (laughs) If we're trying to teach them about, you know, fiscal responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) If we're trying to teach them about fiscal responsibility and, you know, trying to get them into the labor market, you know, getting them hooked on online gambling
0: might not be such a good thing. Joe, wrap this up in about 30 seconds, my friend.
4: Yeah, Senator Perry said he's not looking to have people start to gamble, as Jonah said, they're already doing this. It would just simply be North Carolina regulating instead of using an offshore online service or illegally gambling among their friends. Th- this would be not not to compel people to gamble, but to sort of regulate it in a way that makes sense and to generate revenue for the state.
0: Okay, I want to move on. It looks like a record number of North Carolina parents are sending their kids to charter schools, private schools, or their homeschooling. No one should be
3: shocked that after a year in which the public schools, the traditional district schools, were largely shut down and a lot of the education was taking place at home and people were getting used to new rules, that they went back to school, there were masks, there were social distancing requirements, that a lot of parents would step back and say, hey, let's look at other options. And they did. As it turned out, that uh, figures released from state government this month showed that homeschooling saw a 20 percent increase in the number of students, something like 30,000 kids. Now there are almost 180,000 students in homeschooling. If you put them all together, that would be a larger school district than the largest school district in the state, the Wake County Schools. Uh, a, a note that's not quite as big as the homeschool note, but also important, private school enrollment grew. And people who watch this very closely, uh, they thought the private school enrollment might fall because of the economic uncertainty tied to COVID-19, but it actually, grew by about 3%, 3 percent, another 3,200 kids in private schools, putting them to more than 107,000 overall. Meanwhile, while all of this was happening, enrollment in the traditional district schools fell by about 70,000, which was a 5 percent drop.
0: Was this trend happening before? And is this more about curriculum? As well, or partially?
3: I think curriculum could play a larger role going forward. This We have been seeing the trends of growth in uh, options that are alternatives to traditional district schools for a number of years. But I think the COVID-19 pandemic really made a lot more people think about it. What will be most interesting now is to see what happens once schools go back into session, much like they have in the past. Do parents go back to them, or do they say, we kind of like these alternatives?
5: City, your thoughts? yeah, I think that at this point, um in Timisha's point, I think that there are a lot of parents that decided, especially with regards to homeschooling, that some people just really like the convenience of it. I mean there are people who are now traveling with their children and are still able to homeschool. There's virtual school options where when I, I've heard from a number of teachers that their kid that the kids would pop up on the screen and they were clearly not. In so their a home. lot more choices. So there's a lot more choices. And I think parents should have the right to have choices. I think one of the things though that is really key as we move forward is if we don't have a sound basic education that we are supposed to have and we do not invest and fix the issues with regards to the Leandra decision, we're going to have more people leave the system, but we should be investing and we should be fixing the public schools because if people are, of course, retreating from some of the schools that are not as great and you don't have the luxury of subsidies like Wake County, who's been able to increase taxes to to make up for that, uh, for the lack of funding, it's not fair to those kids. So there are parents who are looking for different options.
0: Do you think, Joe, curriculum or critical race theory would be a topic in the upcoming General Assembly in the next couple months?
4: Well, I would be surprised if it wasn't. I mean, this is a very hotly discussed and debated issue at this point, and not just in the, in the regards of public curriculum, but how we look at our history and how we provide insights to our young people about what our history means and what's the appropriate and correct way to describe our history so that people get a realistic sense of where we've been as a country and as a state and where we hope to go aspirationally, but at, at the at the end of the day i think as senator batch said i mean a lot of this is about people realizing they have options as i've said before on the show the idea of building a facility and having people come to it to get taught something is deeply rooted in the fourth century bc i mean there are a lot of different ways now for us to provide instruction to young people I think the key here is to make sure local school systems have the latitude they need to be innovative in the approach to provide an education okay. to as many people in the way that makes the most sense for that
0: student. Joe, to wrap this up, put it in context in about 40 seconds. I'll do my best.
2: <laughs> I think uh, what the pandemic gave parents and uh, you know, other parental figures was an opportunity to be more involved in their children's lives and in their education. And these school districts, I mean, to call them local schools, it's kind of a misnomer. They're massive school districts. You have 150,000 kids at Wake County Public Schools. Wendell is different from Nightdale. That's different from Apex, which is different from Holly Springs, which is different from North Raleigh, which is different from Wake Forest. Okay. I, so I think parents want some element of control when how can the, the, the people who want a curriculum for their local elementary school in the Leesville area are going to want something massively different than parents in Garner we gotta move. And uh, it's just I think parents want some control over that. Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. It's probably not surprising that
3: there wasn't a whole lot of reporting about an opinion unanimous from the North Carolina Court of Appeals about certificate of need. I can hear people falling asleep right now. I did that but story you, about a year a, and a half ago. But
0: you never brought that up before, but you? Uh, yeah, uh, you, you
3: mentioned that I have before, but because because it's an important issue and it doesn't get a lot of we coverage. Need that's need to have it that's covered. Right, that's, that's why it's underreported. What happened was unremarkable in the sense that the Court of Appeals upheld the granting of a certificate of need for a mobile pet scanner but the the background that's in the decision is what makes this important first of all state government bureaucrats decided in 2018 that North Carolina needed one more mobile pet scanner and only one across the state. They awarded a con, certificate of need. It went to court because it got challenged. And it turned out that the losing competitor was involved in some bullying tactics, scaring hospitals to not work with the winning competitor. It just shows that this entire system needs an overhaul, if not just getting
2: rid of it
0: underreport underreported. It's not on certificate of need, is it?
2: No, Uh, No, not quite. (laughs) Uh, It's actually about the military and about the withdrawal from Afghanistan and Bagram Air Force Base, which was one of the preeminent and premier kind of American positions in that region, um, has now been, I don't want to, I think abandoned might be an inappropriate term, but it's, they're gone. And this whole pullout, which is kind of going on the schedule of the President Biden and President Trump who wanted, you know, who supported that as well, What I found to be underreported was that there actually hasn't been an American fatality in Afghanistan in more than a year. So this is happening. Yes, there was a lot of pressure for it, but now we're learning that the Taliban is, is coming back right. and they're taking over and we're going to see what those ramifications are. Okay. Underreported, Joe.
4: Yeah. Interesting enough, coming out of the COVID-19, the, the heart of the pandemic's uh, impact last year, now there's a fear that we're going to enter into an attention res- uh, recession. And people had so much more time on their hands during COVID-19. And by some estimates, full-time workers had 15. Percent more leisure time during the COVID pandemic when they were stuck at home, spending went up on streaming services and movies and entertainment and games at home. But now that things are returning to normal, there's some fear in those sectors that perhaps people will go back to the way they were. In, in Britain, they said face for mobile devices and such went up by a half hour a day. People were on their devices up to five hours every day because they had all this additional so time. So
5: you
0: tell us, we're all becoming robots or what? <laughs> okay, underreported, please.
5: And on that. <laughs> Facebook is also building a city of its own right outside of the headquarters. They purchased 59 acres of uh, land. They're going to build a city. It's going to be mis- mixed use. It's going to have 17 uh, right outside of Silicon Valley, okay. their headquarters. Not here. Uh, not here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Not here. Um, it'll include 1,700 um, housing units, 320 of which will be affordable housing. 120 will be senior living. They're going to have restaurants, a cafe. They're going to have multiple parks. They're going to have a 193-room hotel. Um, And it's also going to, of course, expand into their office space. So for anyone who wanted to live their dream and live in a Facebook world, the reality will be And Amazon's
0: doing similar things, I think, in Arlington, uh, Virginia. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch?
3: Who's up? North Carolina metro areas, specifically Durham-Chapel Hill, Raleigh, and Charlotte, they were three of the top four metro areas in a new study from the Manhattan Institute that looked at the matchup of job growth and housing. They do, uh, according to this report, a pretty good job of getting new housing to match the number of new jobs. Who does the worst? The absolute worst, the San Francisco metro area, and the three worst areas were all in California. Who's down? Governor Cooper's cabinet and emergency team with the announcement that Public Safety Secretary Eric Hooks is going to retire on August 1st. His department had faced some criticism uh, because of the treatment of prisoners during COVID-19, and it turns out that the Senate budget would split off the correction department from public safety.
0: John, who's up News who's down
2: quickly? Uh, who's up are, is a term I just heard, pragmatic progressives in New York City. Eric Adams coming out and winning the primary for a New York City uh, mayor, the Democratic nomination. And that's significant because he has a background in policing. He was a
0: captain in the New York police force. Uh,
2: yes, so I, I think that's a I mean, that Law is, and order that, was that a top is, issue. That is very um, significant uh, for New York and for the direction, perhaps, of uh, Northeastern Democrats. Uh, who's down or what's down, uh, Toby? Olympics, which start uh, on the 23rd. No spectators boring.
0: Okay. Joe, who's up and who's down?
4: Who's up? Who's feeling up? The Gallup poll on uh, the quality of life in America. 59.2% of Americans are in the thriving category, meaning health and well-being and quality of life. It's the highest it's been in 13 years. After a plunge in 2020, as we might imagine, uh, people are feeling better about their lives and the future of, of their own prosperity and the prosperity of our country. Who's down? Pursuant to our earlier conversation, retail. The Biden administration saying we may never see a full return to retail. COVID-19 certainly making it challenge as we talked before. Some people not as interested in working in jobs where they interact with the public now as a result of COVID-19. But the online sales, of course, will continue to dominate in a way that old brick-and-mortar facilities may just never come back.
0: Sydney, who's up and who's down this week?
5: Jobs in the U.S. are up. We outpaced expectations and added 850,000 jobs last month. Um, and then who is down would be some of the summer camps that have seen outbreaks of COVID in, in several places across the country, including one camp recently of 150 people who actually participated.
0: Now, I see Pfizer's going to offer another booster is that correct
5: yeah and there actually is some um some concern because the cdc came out today and said wait don't worry you're still fully vaccinated people i don't know what pfizer is saying but pfizer is hoping to of course put the in process of final phases of testing a booster because they said that when they were in israel they found out that in a booster would actually add and less breakthrough with regards to the delta variant
0: because the pfizer shot against the variant is what 64 percent effective
5: i don't know i'm not sure about the statistic they said that you're that if that you are less likely to die and be hospitalized, but there is a number of breakthroughs that we've seen with regards to this Delta variant. Okay, Mitch,
0: headline next week. Back
2: from break, State House digs into budget details. That'll be good. Headline next week. Back from break, Congress has another infrastructure week.
4: Okay,
0: (laughs) headline next week.
4: And House Republicans look to woo House Democrats by putting goodies in the budget for those districts and key areas of the state.
0: What's the chance they'll win them over?
4: I think it's pretty good. The Senate was successful in winning over enough Democratic votes to have a veto-proof majority, assuming those Democrats hold the line.
0: I think the House could probably do it, too. So what is going to be Berger's main agenda coming back next week?
4: I think it's to quickly resolve the budget differences with the House, get a package to the governor for his signature in short order, in the hopes that they can get something signed into law, adjourn so that they can get a nice break before they come back for redistricting.
5: Headline next week, Sydney. Uh, COVID cases and hospitalizations are on the rise due to the Delta variant and rip, and it will rip through unvaccinated People start wearing masks again. I wouldn't go that far, but I do think that it may uh, make some people who are unvaccinated reconsider.
0: Great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by... NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hipp. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.